We're starting with our Old Testament reading, which is from Exodus chapter 16. The whole congregation of the Israelites set out from Elim, and Israel came from the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai. On the fifteenth day of the second month, after they had departed from the land of Egypt, the whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread, for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you, and each day the people will go out and gather enough for that day. In that way I will test them, whether they will follow my instruction or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare for what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your complaining against the Lord. For what are we that you complain against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and your fill of bread in the morning, because the Lord has heard your complaining that you utter against him, what are we? Your complaining is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the Israelites, Draw near to the Lord, for he has heard your complaining. And as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of Israelites, they looked toward the wilderness, and the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. The Lord spoke to Moses and said, I have heard the complaining of the Israelites. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall have your fill of bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a fine flaky substance, as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather as much of it as each of you needs. An omer to a person according to the number of persons, all providing for those in their own tents. The Israelites did so, some gathering more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, those who gathered much had nothing over, and those who gathered little had no shortage. They gathered as much as each of them needed. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over until morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and became foul. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, as much as each needed. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day they gathered twice as much food, two omers apiece. When all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you want to bake, and boil what you want to boil, and all that is left over put aside to be kept until morning. So they put it aside until morning, as Moses commanded them. And it did not become foul, and there were no worms in it. 
Moses said, Eat it today, for today is the Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our Gospel reading is from John, chapter 6. Hear the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. When he looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what was going, he was going to do. Philip answered him, six months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many people? Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was a great deal of grass in the place, so they sat down, about 5,000 in all. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, and also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told his disciples, gather up the fragments left over so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled 12 baskets. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. When Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Good morning. We have reached a new segment in our storytelling and our exploration of the book of Exodus. Um, we've titled this series, Living the Story of God's Rescue and Recreation. And we have gone from the point of rescue, and now we're in this point of recreation. And what does this mean? So we've been talking of this God, Yahweh, the great I Am, who is revealing himself, and revealing himself not just to his people, but also to the Israelites. And what is that revelation? What are the characteristics of this Yahweh God? And we have seen in these scriptures that um, God has promised redemption and God has fulfilled his promises. We've seen God go head to head with Pharaoh and the gods of Egypt and has very successfully won. We've seen God bring his people through the waters of the Sea of Reeds or the Red Sea and physically bring them to a very different place. So we are now, as we're entering into these segments, these chapters, we're completely removed from the place of Egypt. So from this place of slavery, from this place of oppression, and we're moving into a new context. 
Um, we are still seeing God as Redeemer, but God is not going to stop there in revealing aspects of his character. And so we're going to keep asking this question, who is God? How is God revealing himself? And now that we have moved out of Egypt in this new place, how is God revealing himself here? And we, this whole passage out of Egypt, this redemption that we've seen, becomes one of the greatest prototypes that is used throughout the rest of Hebrew scriptures about what God does when he redeems his people. And so we see it quoted all the time and referred back to through the Psalms and then through the prophets. And it becomes the great example that the gospel writers turn back to as well, except they say it happens again in the greatest fulfillment possible with Jesus and life on the cross. But we're still only here, we're still only in the first half of the book of Exodus. And so in my mind, this draws up the question of, okay, so now what? So we've come out of Egypt, we've experienced this great redemption, but this is, that was chapter 14, this great redemption. In 15, the people praise and worship God for the redemption, and then we enter into the wilderness and we have 40 chapters in the book of Exodus. So this story of redemption includes everything else that is going to come after it, and we have to be mindful of this as well. So what is the purpose of these next couple chapters? And that's what we're going to be exploring because it's still going to take us a little while. We're only about six weeks after this exodus from Egypt. It will take the Israelites another six weeks to get to Sinai. Sinai is going to be the climax of the story where we spend a whole half of the book of Exodus. Uh, we're going to speed that process up and we're going to get to Sinai by next week. So... There's a, there's a few chapters you could go home and read so that you can kind of fill in the gaps a little bit. But we're going to see something new. So we're going through a massive transformation. And this is not only physically, because the Israelites are leaving this place of Egypt, which, you know, if you wanted to create a visual for yourself, think really green. Think, think the farmlands of Lancaster County, except flatten it out a little bit so you don't have the hills but just that, the deep, rich greenery of farmed land, this land that can support its people. And yet, it's a place of managed land. It's administered land. So it's a land that's also um, open for manipulation, which is what we've seen out of the Egyptian society, where they have enslaved a group of people and have built their, con their economy on the backs of these slaves. And we've changed this location from this Egyptian place to the place of the wilderness, where you just have to picture a broad spectrum of beige with black woven through. You can't even really put that much sand in the picture. It is rock. So it's hard, and everything about it visually is telling you you can't survive here. It's telling you it's not a place, there aren't built structures, there aren't city walls, there's no, no evidence of an economy because it's a place that can't support an economy. It is a place where I've stood a few times and 
it intimidates me, even modern day with a bus behind me with water bottles on the bus. It still makes me quake. It still shouts at me a couple things. One, you can't survive here. You're ill-equipped to be here. You don't have what it takes, shouts that. It also becomes such an obvious and very easy image of some of the worst years of my life. And I don't like to be reminded of them. And yet I stand there and I look at that landscape and I look at just how dry and how barren and how hard it is. And I'm like, oh, yep, that was 2011. Yep, that was 2013. <laughs> yep. And I can name the years. And I, I sometimes joke with people. I mean, I say it almost like a joke, but I think I actually kind of mean it. I think God has me teach the lessons of the wilderness all the time because I can't seem to learn it. Because the lesson of the wilderness is no joke. It's not something that we look back and we're like, oh, darn, why did they complain so much? Obviously, God was with them. It's a place of daily, like 24-7 hardship and choice each of those days to trust who God is. So for the rest of the time that I am talking, take it as someone who has not yet fully learned this and is repeating the things that I think God is really saying. And I just join or just join me. I am extending the invitation to join me in this very, very hard process of learning the lessons of the wilderness. Because the Israelites themselves, we have these wildernessy chapters before we get to Sinai. And in these chapters, so from 15 through 19, we're going to see that they are going to complain because they don't have enough water. And then they complain because they don't have enough food. And they're going to complain again because they still don't have enough water. And then there's going to be unprovoked aggression from people. And so this place of the wilderness is the harshness of the landscape and the harshness of humanity. So it really is a place of extreme vulnerability. And the issues and the needs of the Israelites are very, very real. And we look and we search for how is God going to show himself in this kind of place after even he has already redeemed his people. And so we get to our chapter. So they have left Elim and this was the first time they ran out of water and God brought them to a place where there were 12 springs and there were palm trees, which is no silly just reference. Oh, it was beautiful. It means there was shade which in the wilderness makes all the difference in the world. And so God brought them to this place of provision, but now they're moving on because they're still trying to get to this climatic place, which is going to be Mount Sinai. And again, they run out of water. And so look with me at verse three, because now we're going to see how are the Israelites perceiving their place and their environment? And then how is God going to try to reshape that for them? So the Israelites said to them, if only we have died by the hand of the Lord. In other words, if only we had died by natural causes in the land of Egypt, even though they knew we were slaves in Egypt, they would have died of a natural cause. And somehow they see that because when we were in Egypt, we sat by the flesh pots and we ate our fill of bread. 
right? In other words, in their mental images, they're saying Egypt equaled meat and bread and we were full. And somehow, even though it included slavery that in their minds is seeming preferable. Because then they go on and they're like, you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill us, this whole assembly, with hunger. So again, in their minds, they're saying this wilderness equals hunger, which equals death. So this place of Egypt, but there was food and we were full, this place of the wilderness is nothing. We're hungry and we are going to die. And God is going to shift that equation and say, you're getting your math a little bit wrong. Not that that's exactly math, but you know, you're, you're, you're picturing and you're identifying things in the wrong way. And I would like to point out that complaining and crying out to God is not something that is forbidden. The response of God in this chapter is not one of anger, right? It's, we'll get that later. Right? We have so many different portions of the Psalms that provide examples for us of when you complain and cry out to God. Why on earth are you doing this? Obviously, everything is wrong. Right? The Psalms give us that kind of vocabulary. So it's not that that's wrong. It's when it's a rebellious kind of questioning, when it's person to a third party complaining about how God isn't showing up and that lack of faith, that kind of complaint, which we see in Deuteronomy chapter one, when Deuteronomy is retelling this story. It's that kind of complaint that God goes, that's what I have a problem with. In general complaint, I can deal with because I can take your concern and show you, reframe the concern for you. Okay, so they're complaining and God is going to respond. And he's going to respond by giving them bread from heaven. So it's not bread that they've been able to make because they've grown the grain out of the earth, right? This is what they know out of Egypt. This is bread that comes despite everything about your surroundings that's telling you the, how the world works. But it's not just to give them the bread of heaven, because at the end of verse 4 it says, I will test them whether they will follow my instruction or not. And so this provision is now going to become a time of instruction and a time of building trust between God and his people. And he's trying to see if they're actually going to follow and gain this trust in him. So before we get to Moses and Aaron turning around and telling the people that this new bread of heaven, this manna or mana, what's that? Or what do you call that? Which is, it's like the slang for we've never seen this thing before. We don't know what this thing is. And that becomes the name of it. What do you call it? I don't know, but we're going to eat it. So between these instructions of God saying, I'm going to give them these instructions and Moses giving their instructions, there's this really interesting, and in fact, I almost skipped over it until I was reading this passage over and over. And then I was like, wait a minute, there's something really interesting. There's like a verse slipped in there that you almost don't see because you're getting to the instructions of collecting manna. So go to verse 9. Moses said to Aaron, 
Say to the whole congregation of Israelites, draw near to the Lord, for he has heard your complaining. And as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the Israelites, they looked towards the wilderness and the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. This is so beautiful. If we were to jump ahead to a little bit further on, it's in chapter 33, verses 18 and 19 in Exodus. Uh, God and Moses are in an extended conversation, which tends to happen in the book of Exodus. And Moses asks God, show me your glory. And God kind of stuffs him in this little crevice and puts his hand over him. And it, it talks about how the goodness of the Lord passed in front of Moses. So Moses asked to see his glory, and God showed him his goodness. Isn't that amazing? And here we get, again, this, this moment of look towards the wilderness. Look to this place of emptiness. Look to this place that has no life support in it. And as you gaze towards that wilderness, the place that you looked at and called empty, a place of hunger and death, I'm going to show you my goodness there. It's such this beautiful moment, I think, in this chapter. I'm, like, this is my new favorite portion of this particular chapter because God is showing them in the place of the impossible, I am going to show my goodness to you there. So we're getting this, how is God revealing himself in the wilderness? So the Israelites are raising questions about bread. And God, the great I am, is going to change this bread talk into a question more about presence. It is my presence that is going to be with you. And that is going to be the thing that will be sustaining you. And that is your glory, or that is the glory of God. And in this place, there is no surplus, but there is no lack either. It's a place of where the rabbis say, it's a place of having nothing and lacking nothing. And when we look at Israelite writings about this time, like this historic memory of their time in the wilderness, they remember that it was a place where they complained and it was a hard time and they tested God. They also remember, if you go to Deuteronomy chapter one, they remember it as a place where God the Father picked up and held his son that kind of tenderness of father-son language. If you read Jeremiah 2, we see it framed a slightly different way. It's Israel as the bride who is marrying her most compassionate and intimate husband. So it's this place of vulnerability. They recognize it's a place of hardship. We didn't always do it well, but it's also this place of the honeymoon and think of a honeymoon time as a time of great vulnerability and a time of great intimacy. And this being this wilderness time, and it's going to come by God giving the bread of heaven and not the bread of the land and providing exactly what they need. It is going to pull me back to the original question that I asked. Um, so what is the purpose? Why are we here? And I think a crucial part of the story of redemption, of which, if I could, be a little self-critical of modern-day evangelical Christians. We stop at the end of the story of redemption, and we fail to continue the story through the next part of the chapters, which is the recreation part. Remember, I mean, even in our sermon title, 
This is God's presence and recreation. So there's the redemptive part of God's presence, but then there's the recreation part that comes in living the land, in the land of the wilderness. And so we see that we have this Egyptian economy, right? This Egyptian economy of land that was really fruitful and great, but a society that was built on the back of slaves. It was a land that was administered, and therefore it was a land that was manipulated to the benefit of some and the detriment of others. And God is going to wholeheartedly reject that kind of economy. And he brings his people into the wilderness and he's like, here's my economy. Let me show you what I'm about and what the people who are mine are all about. And that is the manna economy. The manna economy is one in which you receive the bread that you need in places that even seem impossible. It's a place where you're not allowed to hoard. You're not allowed to protect yourself from need of the next day. This is where I'm at massive fault because I've been in those hard places and my reaction is then to shore up even more to make sure it doesn't happen again. And God is always like, just put your shoulders down. I've got tomorrow too. I'm like, really? Do you though? I don't know. And then I go back to, I probably need to take care of this. Right? And so this manna economy is don't hoard. Don't protect yourself against tomorrow because God's got it. That's what he keeps saying. Survival depends on God. And also, isn't this amazing? This manna economy includes a Sabbath rest. How amazing for people who've been enslaved, who have been working at the whips of other people to provide for those more powerful for themselves. And then the God of the universe, the God of creation says, I've got this and I'm building into this rest for you. And in your rest, you will recognize that I am the great I am that I am the one truly in charge, that I am the one providing for you. You're not in great service to me. You're not a slave to me. I am the one who is providing for you. So these people in this wilderness time are being asked to be recreated, to be redeemed and then shaped for the mission that God has for his people to go on. And so I was saying earlier that this great, like coming out of Egypt is this great prototype of redemption that is used all the way up till the gospel readers. And so then we also get our gospel text on the next page. And just notice that we have the God of the Exodus who is now embodied in the human of Jesus. And yet we get this retelling of the Israelite story and Jesus places himself within this story and in doing so is revealing what his character is, who, his, um, who he actually is. And so we have Jesus going out with the crowds and they're on a mountain or on a hillside. It's not really a mountain around the Sea of Galilee, but like the rolling hills of the Sea of Galilee. They're somewhere, which means they're not in a city. They're outside these places of this controlled environment. And the people don't have anything. And Jesus provides fish, meat, flesh, 
and bread and satiates them with exactly what they need for that day. And I don't think this is just a random display of power so that everyone goes, whoa, you're super cool. Because that's not really what Jesus was about. He's not super flashy. And if we notice, this reading is out of the Gospel of John, of which we have studied together as a congregation. And John is determined to show people the character of who Jesus is to go, and this is the Messiah that we believe in. So this is not just a random display of power as it is a display of, who, of uh, the, re the revelation of the character of who Jesus is. And as we last week talked about the meal, the Passover meal, and how this meal is this Passover meal, I would encourage us also to remember that it's not just the Passover meal, but then the life in the wilderness that we're remembering. It is the Passover meal, but it's the reshaping that comes afterwards. And in taking the bread, in even saying, come and eat, all of you, this is an invitation of come to the table to be changed in order to be more in line with the priorities of God, to then go out on mission with God, the way that God wants you to learn about his manna economy and then go out and be the same. So we're learning about the presence of God, that God is the sustainer, and we're being willing maybe, or we're trying, maybe trying to be willing. That would be more me. I'm trying really hard to be willing to learn God's economy and to be shaped by God's mission. Will you pray with me? Holy God, we come to you and we pray. Give us this day our daily bread the bread that is there day by day, the bread and your provision that asks us not to hoard, not to protect ourselves, but to learn to be vulnerable and open to who you are. May it also be a reminder as we say those words, give us this day our daily bread, that we're remembering that we're asking you to show us the old patterns of life maybe the ways that we have shaped our lives according to an Egyptian economy, a Roman economy, an American economy. And instead, we're being asked to be shaped to a new life according to you and your provision so that we are being invited to join you in building a visible and earthly kingdom that is here, that is built on the ways that you want to shape this kingdom this upside-down kingdom that doesn't seem to conform to the way humans love to display power, but is one that is shaped on servanthood, love, adoration, looking at you and knowing that we have just enough. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.